Hi, everyone. Welcome to Humane Voices, the official podcast of the Humane Society of the United States. Carrie and Austin back for another episode with Noelle. Uh, back in May, we spoke with Noelle Almerid, who is the senior director of the Black Beauty Ranch about India, who made headlines everywhere. If you were looking at a newspaper at all uh, in, in that week in May, uh, there were headlines of this tiger. Imagine, you know, walking out on your lawn, getting a paper and seeing just this tiger in your neighborhood in the suburbs. And so uh, luckily, India arrived at Black Beauty Ranch back in May, and we wanted to get an update on how he's doing and um, more importantly, talk about what it means uh, after the headlines leave and talking about the cost of care and all of the responsibilities that Black Beauty Ranch takes on with an animal like India and others. So um, thanks so much for sitting down to chat with us, Noel. We're really, really glad that you're here for an update. Happy to be here. Thank you, guys. Absolutely. So the last time we spoke, um, we were not sure if, uh, you, you know, kind of the fate of India with all these custody battles and everything like that. So is there an update that you can give for us? Yes. Uh, India is officially a Black Beauty Ranch resident, lifelong resident. Um, we received Ooh. permanent custody. Uh, I hate to use the word ownership because he's an sentient being, but um, we do have full custody of India now. So we're happy with that. We know that he's not going to go anywhere. He's going to have a great life for the rest of his life. Great to hear. And so when it comes to something like that, you know, the, the news stories were were obviously covering this very closely and in all the legal battles and everything like that. But once all of this died down, um, can we talk about the impact that it has? Because the stories can leave. But now that India is at the sanctuary, what kind of impact does this have on your team and on the, on the sanctuary itself? And the other animals, because India is not yep, the yep. only tiger, right? I mean, like you've got you've got multiple other tigers there. It's so interesting that this is that we live in a in a country that that you can you can have this issue. I mean, it's it's definitely it's something else. Yeah, no, that's a, a very good point. Um, you know, before we agree to take any animal, we go through a litany of questions and tests to determine if if this is the best fit for that animal, including you know, do we have others of that species? Do we have the proper setup? Do we have the proper proper uh, husbandry and vet care? Um, mm -hmm. Can we provide the proper environment? And are we going to be able to sustain that animal's life in the best manner possible for the rest of their lives? Mm -hmm. And so, yes, we were able to do that for India. We did have available space for him, and we were happy to provide that forever home for him. Noelle, just out of curiosity, like when I don't, I don't know enough about tiger husbandry to know, like when you, when you are keeping multiple tigers, are they, are they sharing an enclosure or do they have to be kept separate? Are there, are there sort of tensions that develop between the different tiger, tiger family members? Most wild cats are solitary in the wild, mm -hmm. tigers included. So uh, the majority of our tigers are living in individual habitats. Mm. Um, you know, people have always questioned, well, is India going to get a friend? Well, India doesn't seem to want a friend. He, <laughs> he is around other tigers. He sees them, but he shows no interest. The other tigers show no interest in him. Mm, and if that's what he chooses, then so be it. There are cases where 
Um, tigers can live together, especially if they're litter mates and they're mm. raised together. Um, and so that is sustainable, but it's not uncommon for an animal to reach sexual maturity and then decide that they need to uh, be by themselves. And so mm. it's perfectly normal and natural for India to live by himself. But it suggests to me that it, it also would mean that you guys, that, that would mean it would be even more critical for, for Black Beauty Ranch to have had adequate space. I mean, like if you've got multiple animals that need to live on their own and have a certain amount of acreage that they need to have to explore and really be in touch with their wild tiger side. I mean, I imagine even sort of making sure that you've got those sort of enclosures is, is, is in itself kind of a challenge. Yes. And our goal has been to, to build acreage for them to have naturally wooded habitats of, you know, half acre, full acre, even larger, our largest habitat for big cats is three acres. And so that's our goal. So that takes up a lot of land for one animal, but it's in his best interest to be by himself. And so we Mm -hmm. respect that. Yeah. India just wants to read a book and listen to Johnny Cash. You know, you got to leave him alone. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) He's a lone wolf. Oh, wait. (laughs) Right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. No, that's the thing. So uh, what I was curious about, because India was coming from a very human centric environment and then had to be transitioned, I would assume. So can you talk to us a little bit about that, uh, that transition there, Noelle? Yeah, we seem to be experts on this because it happens over and over again. We get a former pet, whether it be a big cat or a monkey um, or any other species, a wild animal, um, they get habituated to people. They are not tame by any means. And I always point out that it takes thousands of years to domesticate a species. So just because you raise a tiger from a cub does not mean they are tame. They are still wild and will revert back to their wild instincts. Um, But when they do come in, they are used to people, they're used to interacting with them. We still interact with our animals based on their comfort level. However, we never go in with our wild animals. There's a safety factor, but we will talk to them through the fence. Um, We're working on offer conditioning so that they can present for medical procedures so we don't have to worry about sedating them. Mm -hmm. So we are interacting with them on a regular basis. But what we found over time, and it happens every single time, is that animal gets used to being the wild animal that they are, and they require less and less human interaction. Mm. And that's, that's our goal. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it's great to hear. And um, in that same respect, kind of related to that, uh, their enrichment before was, you know, I don't know, pacing around a cage or, or playing Nintendo playing it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, And now enrichment here is, is a lot different, right? What are, what are some of the things that, that you provide on the sanctuary? We provide enrichment uh, similar to what they would find in the wild or that would mimic activities that they would do in the wild. So, for example, India's habitat um, has a water feature. It has a pool. Tigers love water. Most cats don't, but tigers are one of the few that do love water. So we give him um, a pool that he can splash around, play around in. He's got uh, tall platforms because tigers like to climb and they like to sleep up in high spaces. So we give him that. He's got downed tree limbs. And the first thing he did is he went in and started scratching on that tree, which is what he would do in the wild. He's marking his territory. Um, so we try to mimic those those activities that he would have in the wild. 
So Noel, just out of curiosity, like one of the, um, I, aside from the fact that the animals tend to sort of seek the company of people less and less over time, like when you see a tiger who has come from a situation where they were being kept as a pet, and then they move into the situation where it's much sort of closer to a wild environment, how do you see their, their actual sort of behaviors change? Like, like, what do you see beyond the sort of seeking of humans versus being on their own in terms of how they actually behave day to day? Are there, are there changes that you observe in them? There are, um, you know, when, when our tigers that were former pets arrived, um, they are up at the fence. Whenever we're there, they're pacing back and forth because that's what they know is to interact with people over time. Again, they start to mimic their natural behavior. So they mm. go, back into the woods or in the trees and they sleep a lot. You know, we all know cats love to sleep. <laughs> Tigers are no exception. They're sleeping most of the day. Um, they enjoy, you know, stimulating activities, but then they want to sleep. Or when we do come up, they're not running up to the fence. They may recognize that, oh, that's the food truck. It's time for dinner. And they kind of slowly saunter up like, hey, what's going on? But they're not in that same emotional mm. state where they, ex, ex, you know, they compare having human interaction as a positive experience. How does India compare to some of the other tiger rescue, uh, other cases that you've seen? So how has Loki been? How has Elsa been? Have they both fallen in the same pattern or have you seen different personalities come from each of the tigers? Oh, our caregivers could tell you the intricacies of each of their personalities. <laughs> they know them far better than I do because they work with them and they see them every day. Um, but they do. They have different personalities. They're all very laid back and relaxed. Um, and because they have that original association with people, they're not fearful of us. But we have seen animals that have come in that have been physically abused and they have mm. these scars, emotional scars on them. Um, and so we try to adjust and give them what they need. Speaking of emotional scars, I, th I think I just saw um, a video that our team worked on about, I think, a couple of macaques who you guys have, the, mo the monkeys. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, those that was just incredible. Like the mother, the mother it was and a daughter, right? Mm -hmm. I can't remember their names. And I was, it, is it Gabby and Nanette? That's right. Oh mm -hmm. my gosh, what a beautiful story that is. And they, you can really, you can really see the sort of emotional sort of like, like sort of connection between those two animals. And I, I was curious about how, what you've seen in, in terms of how long have they been there now? Oh gosh, those macaques came in the nineties, I believe the late nineties. Wow. So they've wow. been there longer than I have. Mm. Um, and you know, now they're, they're senior girls. So oh, that's um, so sweet. Yeah. So they, they've earned their retirement. Yeah. And they were, they were research animals. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So what's that when, do you see major differences between the animals who are coming from sort of a research background versus those who've been kept as pets in terms of how they react to people in terms of other ways, their behaviors evolve as they are there? Oh yes. And especially if you're talking about non-human primates or monkeys, um, mm -hmm. when they come out of the lab, they are usually extremely aggressive, extremely threatened. Um, whereas mm -hmm. the pets, they are obviously calmer, um, and more used to people, but we also find that the pets never learn the appropriate social cues with each other. Mm. And so sometimes they can have a hard time, um, adjusting to living with others of their own species. So we usually find the wild macaques or the lab macaques act more quote unquote wild. Mm, um, and so they are able to be introduced with each other, usually a lot easier because they know the social cues. And you stated, Noel, a simple fact of the matter that I think, again, is overlooked in a lot of cases is that these animals, when they're in a sanctuary, they are there for life. 
And so, it, you know, if we could take a minute to talk about the, the All Animals magazine highlighted some really interesting points about cost of care. Um, and I was wondering if we could, you know, talk about some of the interesting ones that popped up, at least in, in, in my mind. Um, so now India has come into the sanctuary and you have discussed all of the different factors, but can we talk about the, the yearly cost? Do you have a, do you have a round number estimate? Yes. Of, of cost of care for one tiger at the sanctuary. Yeah, we estimate that for one large carnivore, tiger, lion, you know, whatever that species would be, it's probably about 25000 per mm. year per animal because you're factoring in the cost of the food, the vet care, the husbandry, the staffing, the utilities, the habitat maintenance, all of that kind of stuff adds up quickly. And that's, I assume, to care for them properly the way you guys are caring for them. I, I assume that their, their, their previous owner was not... Um, was not spending that kind of money because, you know, especially if they're keeping them in an apartment, it's uh, <laughs> not the same situation. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we don't know what they were being fed as a mm. diet, but normally when an animal comes out of the pet trade, they're not getting a complete diet. Mm. Yeah. And even the, um, I saw in the article, it was that beautiful picture with the big red ball. I, I, I didn't even think that big red ball it's, just a thing. I'm like, oh, you can just pick that up at a pet smart. You cannot. Um, <laughs> no. That's that's a couple hundred dollars just there, right? Yeah, those balls are designed for um, large carnivores. You know, they're oh, for okay. the zoo world or for the sanctuary world. They're extremely thick and heavy mm. because obviously, if it was just a thin plastic ball, that tiger would <laughs> think does not last or tear it up in <laughs> five seconds. So these are a heavy duty. It's like a tiger thick. Kong, basically. Yeah, right? that's yeah. exactly what it is. They do. They're not cheap. They're not yeah. cheap at all. Yeah. And so speaking about this specialized diet too, how, how much food per year does a tiger eat? I think we estimated that it's about 3000 pounds per year per animal. That's a 3, lot, a lot of food. <laughs> so, so my, my Toyota Camry, Toyota Corolla in, in, in pounds of food. Okay. Got it. Yeah. It's good to know. <laughs> Every year. The tigers eat a Corolla every year. Wow. <laughs> they eat a car. It's amazing. They keep their figures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Got to watch my weight. I had a Corolla this year. And <laughs> inching in for the Camry next year. So anyway, uh, no, I just thought, it, you know, those are some really interesting um, points that come out of it and something that we don't really think about in terms of cost of care. Obviously your team thinks about it all the time. So mm. it's, it's good to know. So Noel, um, along with this sort of giant, big rub red rubber tiger Kong, like what are some of the other things you do at Black Beauty to provide enrichment for the animals? I mean, like I, I know that they've got the you know vast, vastly larger spaces than they're probably mostly ac accustomed to, but do you guys, you know, add add other things to those spaces in order to sort of keep their lives interesting? We do. For all of our animals, we rotate enrichment daily. Now, obviously, if an animal has several acres of naturally wooded forest. We don't have to provide as much enrichment mm -hmm. because the habitat itself is enrichment. Yeah, that's great. Um, but however, for our tigers, we're always offering different, different stimulus to keep them occupied. And as we're approaching Halloween, we're focusing on pumpkins. So we've bought a whole lot of uh, pumpkins, uh, had some donated, which we always appreciate. And we've passed those out to just about everybody in the sanctuary because, you know, not only do the big cats love to tear them up and, and 
throw them around. Um, but our horses like to play with them. The farm animals will eat them. Um, even the monkeys will play around in them. So we're, we're focusing on that for this month. And then we hope to be able to share some videos and pictures later in the month. So it's the animal version of a PSL. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. So pumpkin, they, they, pumpkin they'll latte. eat them and, and play with them both. I mean, I love, I love that. I can just, Oh, we should put tiger faces on some of them. I wonder what would happen. <laughs> like tiger jackal tiger lanterns. <laughs> Surprisingly, they know the difference. They know it doesn't. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> well, they're they're very creative and crafty. You have some artwork behind you, anyway. Too speaking of enrichment. Oh yeah, yes. we should you should duck out of the way, Nicole, so people can see. Is that whose whose art is that behind you? Well, that's my messy desk. Uh, but behind <laughs> it, that is a painting by India. Um, that's another enrichment activity that we do. Is it's water based, non toxic kids mm-hmm. paint. And we put it, blobs of it on a canvas and then we slide it under their fencing and, you know, we spray stinky perfume on it. And, you know, cats, what they do with scents, they rub in it. And so they'll rub their faces in it. There's probably some India hair mixed in with the paint. Oh, and- nice. Love it. Love it. And really good PSA about the pumpkins. I feel like a lot of people throw them out in my neighborhood and I'm like, go give them, give them to the sanctuaries and the, and all these things. I, that's, it's a great use for, for the animals. So very, very cool. So the big question to, you know, for all of our listeners watching, uh, a question always comes up with stories like these that we hear. And luckily some of the happy stories that we're hearing and sharing here with India and other animals, but what could we do as the public to help curb this private ownership of animals like these? So we are huge supporters of the Big Cat Public Safety Act, which is a a bill that's up uh, for consideration. And it's a federal bill which would ban uh, the ownership of exotic cats in the United States. And so we um, urge our supporters to contact their legislators and have them support the bill. Um, You know, states, certain states are able to regulate this themselves, but there are a lot of states that don't. And so this would just help be a blanket ban on owning these animals and stop the the overbreeding of wild animals or wild cats. Mm. Perfect. Was there any other points that you wanted to bring up before we uh, wrapped up the episode here? I don't think so. You guys are are thorough, covered everything. (laughs) Oh, one other thing I did want to say. Um, Elsa is celebrating her first birthday um, this month. So we hope to have a Facebook Live event on the 19th of October um, on the Humane Society of the United States Facebook page. So hopefully we'll be doing that later this month. Oh, that's so so cute. We're we're going to have, you know, presents. They're basically boxes wrapped with stinky (laughs) perfume on them. And (laughs) we put them in our habitat and then we um, get out, close it up safely. And then we let her in and then we'll video her just terror, terrorizing them and tearing them up and, having fun with them. And that's her birthday. Fantastic. Stinky perfume. I'm going to ask for that for my nine next <laughs> we, birthday. <laughs> we asked for that for donations. People will give us like old perfume that they don't want anymore. And oh the my stinkier, gosh, the better great. the cats love it. Carrie, you're going to have all the neighborhood cats starting to come <laughs> right, to your door, exactly. like pawing. They're the like, glass. hello, lady. <laughs> you smell good. <laughs> you smell good. Yeah. You smell uh, like fishies. <laughs> Um, All right, Noelle, thank you so much. Uh, Noelle Almerid, Senior Director of Black Beauty Ranch. That's all we have for today's show. To keep up with India and our work at uh, Black Beauty Ranch and to see Elsa's birthday, you know where to find us, humanesociety.org for more info. See you next time on Humane Voices. Humane Voices.